And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for September 12th, 2023, which in the Hebrew calendar is just three days before Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. I wish all my Jewish listeners, Ktiva a very happy New Year, a year of health, success and peace. To my non-Jewish listeners, I send greetings and my sincere thanks for being loyal supporters of Israel. My own wish for 5784 is that God shall instill the wisdom into the leaders of our country, which is in a constitutional crisis, to change their differences into an accommodation that will bring unity where there is conflict, understanding where there is indifference, and clarity where there is confusion, as well as agree on policies that will bring peace with all our neighbours, both near and far. It is regrettable that there are some leaders like Benny Gantz who want their cake and eat it, who are so power-hungry that they are not prepared to compromise. I am Walter Bingham, and it's my great pleasure to keep you company for the next 20 or so minutes. You might also like to listen to the last program in which I explained the meaning of Rosh Hashanah and the significance of the shofar, specially tailored for our non-Jewish listeners. Russia is never out of the news for long, and now we hear that while once the Russians supplied weapons to North Korea, now the situation is reversed and Putin has come to an accommodation with Kim Jong-un, the North Korean dictator, for North Korea to supply Russia with weapons, I believe mainly artillery shells, to help the Russians to conduct their war in Ukraine. That is a good indication that things are not going so well for them. Because every week this program is joined by new listeners, I want to repeat here my short analysis of the origin of Russia and how recent history changed the country and what Putin's plans are for the future. One of the main players in world politics today is Russia, and here is a short history of its development. What we call Russia today was always a very large area of Eurasia. From 1721 until 1917, for almost 200 years, it was the Russian Empire, arguably the largest in the world, known as Imperial Russia and ruled as an absolute monarchy. The effect of World War I caused considerable upheaval in that country, which led to a revolution of the working classes in 1917 and the overthrow of Tsar Nicholas II, ending century of Romanov rule. A bloody civil war finally ended when, in 1922, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, was established covering the same area but made up of 15 socialist republics stretching from the Baltic and Black Seas to the Pacific Ocean, an area of more than 22.4 million square kilometers. 
It was the world's largest country, covering a sixth of the world's land area. Although a union of 15 national republics, its governments and economy were highly centralized in Moscow. In the meantime, Nazi Germany built up its war machine with the intention of establishing hegemony over Europe and Eurasia. In a maneuver of deception, the Nazis signed a non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union and they remained allies until June 1941 when the German armies invaded the USSR. The rest is history. Following the defeat of Nazi Germany, politics between the Western countries and the Soviets polarized into a rivalry, mainly with North America, that became known by George Orwell's description as the Cold War. Between 1988 and 1991, there developed an incessant political and legislative conflict between some of the republics and the central government in Moscow. President Gorbachev started to lose control, and in 1991 the USSR disintegrated as a result of the leaders of three of the Union's founding and largest republics, the Russian, the Ukrainian, and the Belarusian, declared that the Soviet Union no longer existed and 11 more republics joined them shortly thereafter. Russia became officially the Russian Federation. Greatly reduced, it now has a landmass of 17.13 million square kilometers. Russia's head of state, the president, is empowered to appoint the chairman of the government, that's the prime minister, key judges, and cabinet members. The president is also commander-in-chief of the armed forces and can declare martial law or a state of emergency. Today, it is President Vladimir Putin, a former KGB officer, who served alternately as Prime Minister and President since 1999. He now has extended the two constitutional terms to serve as President so that it may keep him in office until 2036. This places in doubt the government's description as a democratic state with a republican form of government. The actions of the Russian government point to the belief that President Putin is intent on increasing his country to the size that it was in bygone times. Therefore, the relationship with Russia is once again under considerable strain because of their expansionist policies. But there were other occasions when the West battled against Russian expansion, for instance, the charge of the Light Brigade during the Crimean War in 1854, a failed military action involving the British Light Cavalry. In 2014, Russia invaded and subsequently annexed the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine. This event took place as a result of the wider Russian-Ukrainian conflict, which has once again developed into war. Israel has a good relationship with Russia despite being pressurized by the Biden administration in the US to cool it or risk consequences. Because Israel receives considerable aid from the US, 
our government has in that respect to walk a diplomatic tightrope. Like Putin, there were always rulers who harbored ambitions for their country to be top dog. Some succeeded to establish empires that lasted for a period of time, others, like Hitler, Yamaximo, faltered to extinction in the attempt. Then there are those who have delusions of grandeur, ambitions of political greatness, or wanting to create a legacy for themselves out of nothing. I'm thinking of Yasser Arafat, an Egyptian who had the idea to establish a new nation made up of the flotsam that were the resident Arabs in this country and also the foreign workers who flooded into mandatory Palestine to find work available here but not in their countries of origin. In 1964, Arafat established a nationalist movement for a Muslim state of Palestine with himself as the leader. This fake idea took hold, and today we see the consequences of this myth. In an interview on June 15, 1969, with Frank Giles, then deputy editor of the UK Sunday Times, and to mark the second anniversary of the Six-Day War, Israel's Prime Minister Golda Meir said, There is no such thing as Palestinians. When was there an independent Palestinian people with a Palestinian state? It was either southern Syria before the First World War, and then it was a Palestine including Jordan. It was not as though there was a Palestinian people in Palestine considering themselves as a Palestinian people and we came and threw them out and took their country away from them. No, they did not exist. To judge by the historical conduct and methods of their leaders, it is evident that a two-state solution has as much chance as a snowball in hell, quite apart from the nonsensical history on which their claim is based. It is unfortunate that they indoctrinate their younger population with a false, fake and made-up glorious history of their country before the Jews have stolen it. At the same time, they try to destroy any evidence of our long Jewish history in this land. Historical records show that all such schemes will eventually finish in the dustbin of history. The people of Israel have returned to their ancient homeland and have amply demonstrated their value to the world. That's why several of the nations that were previously opposed to the existence of our Jewish state have come to the conclusion that if you can't beat them, join them, and more are coming to this decision. I would like to see a confederation of Middle Eastern state to rival the European Union with all that implies. Such an enterprise would surely promote Aliyah and encourage Jewish businesses and investment away from the ever-increasing anti-Semitic diaspora. Maybe even before then, Jews all over the world will realize that they have a debt to their children 
and their future generations. Having said all this, you might want to call me an idealist, but that is not correct. I am a far-seeing pragmatist with a strong Zionist base. God bless Israel. The Americans are playing a strange and puzzling game. While on the one hand they express their strong support for the state of Israel, there is no greater ally, they say. On the other hand, they do not recognize some of the government's senior ministers. Among the invitees at a reception at the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem to toast the Jewish New Year were ministers of Israel's government, except for Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich of the Religious Zionism Party and National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir of the Otsma Yehudit Party, whose names were left off the list of invitees. Those parties are to the right of the Likud and make up over 20% of the current Israeli government and were democratically elected by more than 500,000 Israelis. That is an insult to a large part of Israel's population. You're tuned to The Walter Bingham File on Israel News Talk Radio. There's more after this. The most mystical sound I ever heard Hearing one hundred sounds without saying a word
That was Lenny Solomon from his album Schlockrock, Almost on Broadway. It is not easy to be Israel's Prime Minister, not only because he has to deal with uncivilized attacks by the opposition, and not only because he has to fend off the criticism by the US and other states that profess to be our friends and as such try to dictate to us how to run our country. There is also the succession of senior foreign diplomats visiting Israel, who ironically, while scolding us in their official speeches, come here to learn of our technology and agriculture. Last week, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was extraordinarily busy. In addition to his routine tasks of committee and cabinet meetings, he attended several commemorations, made speeches and held consultations with the visiting foreign senior diplomats. Among them were NATO Deputy Secretary General Mikhea Joanna, if I mispronounced his name, I apologize, who said, I am very privileged to be in Israel, a country that we admire, respect, and work with even closer. Netanyahu also met with, with the president of the South American Football Federation, Alejandro Dominguez, who is also a FIFA vice president. He held telephone consultations with the Paraguayan president, Santiago Pena, and with Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, who believes that Israel is obligated to send him more military aid. Would you like to be our prime minister? Now some news in brief. While according to the White House, there is an understanding on the key points for the Saudi-Israeli normalizations, the self-hating Jew and prominent New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, who is obsessed with his hate and disdain for the Jewish state, has again spewed out his filthy nonsense. Referring to the current negotiations for Saudi-Israel normalization, he tries again to throw a spanner into the works when he wrote, You can't normalize relations with a government that isn't normal. Referring, of course, to his pet hate, Netanyahu. I'm not going to discuss his reasons here, except to say that, unlike the protagonists who have sidelined the Palestinian question, Friedman wants to bring that back into the equation. Finally, but most importantly, the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem has released the following statement. President Joe Biden announced his intent to nominate Jacob J. Lou to serve as Ambassador Extraordinary and Plenipotentiary to the State of Israel. End of statement. Lou is an Orthodox Jew who observes Shabbat. He is a seasoned diplomat who attends synagogue wherever he is stationed. Among his former posts are U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, White House Chief of Staff, and Special Assistant to President Clinton. He will replace Thomas Knights, who left the position before his term expired. It is not known when Jacob Lou will take up his post.
And with this news, I come to the end of the last program for this year. I hope that by the grace of God, I shall be back again next year with more programs of news, views and interviews from Israel and the rest of the Jewish world. Until then, this is Walter Bingham, thanking you all for listening to this program and hoping that it has helped you to understand how I see the world. Very importantly at this time of religious festivals, the elderly whose families may live far away get very lonely and melancholy. Please visit your elderly neighbors and bring some cheer into their lives. Thank you. Goodbye.